I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch knows that the most dangerous game is man if he has an extensive hunting and survivalist experience. Letters in the mailbox say I'm gonna hunt you down. I'm gonna hunt you down. I am the prophet. Hey, I am the savior. Well, I am the prophet. Hey, I am the savior. Letters in the mailbox. should have been something like we love to watch knows the most dangerous type of podcasting is two white guys who want to talk about movies <laughs> it is true it is true we'll we, i mean we waters. are in like the type of podcast that when you commit to you know you you listen to podcasts and you're like oh i like these people and then sometimes when you listen to them for like a while they start saying things and you're like oh no what does that person think do i want to continue listening to this and I'll tell you what, the highest possible risk you can have to be in that position is two straight white cis guys, Peter. <laughs> like, we are at the high – like, if you've committed to listening to this, thank you. Because you are taking a risk that one day all of a sudden we're going to we're gonna be like, yeah, but like, was this really all that wrong? And you're going to have to be <laughs> like, ah, oh, fuck. God, last time I trust a couple of straight cis white guys. So – yeah, I mean we are a high risk podcast. I don't I don't yeah. wanna I don't wanna sugarcoat it. We're we're committed to uh doing the work to keep that risk as low as possible for you, the listener. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like it's not a risk. I mean, last month I probably uh probably uh said a, a lot of things about Evangelion that people don't like. And if you're still listening now, great. You made it through the journey. You made it through the Human Instrumentality Project. Peter, this is actually a great reference because that was last week's episode because we're in a new month. It's new February. Month, um, it's February 2022. And what are we doing? Uh, we're just hanging out and we were thinking about themes and we're like, what's, what happens in February? We've done Groundhog Day uh, uh, theme month. We've done Groundhog Day theme months. We've done uh, of uh, Love theme months, Valentine's Day. Um, and we're like, you know, what, what was our first one? Our first one was about, the, you know, sports, the big game. And we were like, let's do it about it's, – it's the Super Bowl. Let's do a big game month. And then we're like, but you know what? I'm not all that interested in talking about uh, sports. So what we're doing is the big game uh, with all game-related movies, not including the sports. So we're doing today the most dangerous game. We'll be doing Patriot Games. We'll be doing the not-as-funny-as-you-think funny games. Uh, and we'll be wrapping it up with the game, uh, which is the, you know, the game to end all games. David Fincher's 1997. Uh, sometimes forgotten movie in between two uh, more or more uh, recognized cultural touchstones in Seven and Fight Club. Spoiler alert, the game also rules. So I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, but Peter, we're talking about the most dangerous game. And it's interesting that we're talking Romance? about the most dangerous game now. <laughs> Romance? No, Peter. Most dangerous game is not Romance. 
We're talking about When Harry Met Sally, right? Is that what you watched? Yeah, I watched When Harry Met Sally. Were you wondering why I kept referencing the dog stabbing scene in text? Uh, Yeah, Billy Crystal is kind of a jerk in that movie, but he comes back around. (laughs) Yeah, he did stab a dog and used another one as a human shield, but you think that's going to keep Meg Ryan from ruining their friendship and eventually perfect life together? Uh, No, I think it worked out in the end. Do you remember he's like, he's like, who wants, he has that whole speech where he's like, who wants to walk a dog anyways? Who want, you, you want to walk around all day with a, a, a little poop bag and you pick up the dog's poop? Who's the real master then? And then he stabs a random dog at Central Park. You don't remember that sequence? I do. I remember slightly differently. And then a cop comes. and <laughs> Where he's like, when I was growing up on the streets in New York, Mickey, Mickey Mantle, Roger, these were my boys. These were my childhood friends. And I'm like, someday... I want to dress in blackface and make a whole movie about it. Yeah. Uh, that's the most hard. dangerous game. And then he stabbed is, the dog. The most dangerous game is uh, accepting Billy Crystal to do your a benefit concert for Hurricane Katrina. Uh, yes. Uh, comic relief. Uh, more like. No. <laughs> That would be, I would, that would be kind of a difficult name. Did you ever watch? Hold on. Did you ever watch? A, here's the problem with like any of those '80s comedians is like stand-up comedy. We talk about like comedy aging like milk. Stand-up comedy especially has aged like I don't know a bag of dog shit. Yeah, like, it already stinks. And then it stays out for a long time. But, like, I remember catching, like, a comedy relief on HBO because I've, like, finally, like, for some reason I had access to HBO, which was always a huge thing because they had great comedy stuff that I, I was obsessed with from a young age, but we didn't have cable. So, like, I don't know if I was in a hotel or uh, something, and they had a comic relief on in, like, 97 or 98, but it was, like, a rerun from, like, I think one in the 80s or something. And I was watching it, and it was, like, you know, Robin Will, like, all these people I love, all these people I know. And it was just, like, set after set of, like, oh, do I not like stand-up comedy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a – I feel like as somebody who considers himself pretty well listened to with com- – uh, pretty well yeah. listened with comedy – there are very few albums from that like particular era of the stand-up comedy boom of the 80s where I'm like, yeah, I really do want to know uh, how the head writer on a big sitcom uh, 10 years later, uh, how he feels about uh, gay people uh, at the at the bar. I, I really want to know how he feels <laughs> about uh, this whole AIDS thing that's going around. Well, that's why like the if you've seen the Everything is Terrible uh comic movie right I, I haven't yet it's the oh one that i've been God. holding off on because i know specifically it'll it's make me brutal. cringe so hard that my fucking teeth will crack it is so brutal i, w- I cannot recommend it enough it is, <laughs> it is you know it me. Is sometimes like i have I've, i haven't finished nathan for you like i sometimes this like the 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 cringe comedy that's like r- people in real life just sometimes it just destroys me and there is like a how does Howie Mandel have a show at all? How I was literally about? talking to somebody about that was making fun of Howie Mandel like two days ago. And because uh, he apparently used to do the stand up set where he would say a really shitty, dumb joke, perhaps a really offensive joke. And then he'd just go, what? What? Yeah. What? No, that's there. But like, yeah, he was what? just incredibly racist. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that was a great contrition. He shaved his head. (laughs) She's my penance. 
<laughs> yeah, just like uh, just like Edward Norton in American History X. Yeah, and Hedieki Ano so you know you're not uh, after the um, Evangelion episodes 25 and 26. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know you're not racist if you have a skin head. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to hide here. Can't hide any racism in this hair because there is none. All checks out. Uh, Peter, why is so funny? Heads in prison have have shaved heads is because of prison lice. Okay, that's a human rights issue. It has nothing to do with... Oh. Yeah, that's a Greenpeace oh. thing. There's there, a lot there, of them. There's a lot of them for lice reasons. Uh, the risk level keeps going higher. We're going to tamper it down. We Why it's weird we're doing the most dangerous game in the big game month is not because it's not technically accurate that it should be there. It should. Okay? It says game right in the title. As you could guess, that was our deciding factor with whether it could be included in this month. But no. Why it's kind of surprising, Peter, is that – fun fact for eagle, uh, eagle-eared eagle listeners. Uh, back in 2017, we did a month called The Most Dangerous Game. Didn't do this movie. Why Why didn't we do this movie? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We have we had a pretty big list. I think it was. We did. I mean, There's a lot, and I, that's that's a really actually good jumping off point because this movie and the short story, like they're they're, they're I guess they're working on an official like named remake, but it's like, already happened. It's oh, on, it did happen. It's on Quibi. It's a 2020 show starring uh, Hemsworth. It happened. And it was. It Quibi? happened. Well, it's on Quibi. It's like if a tree falls in the woods, <laughs> does not make a noise? If a show premieres on Quibi, did it happen? Here, here's what's funny. Wikipedia doesn't even have an update because it doesn't have a. It doesn't have a uh, year associated with it. Uh, it just yeah. says upcoming. It says upcoming remake of the movie. Uh, I saw. Maybe it was supposed to come to Quibi and then it was delayed when Quibi wasn't a thing anymore. Didn't even get to Quibi. <laughs> You can like I I tripped over a a a box and I was on Quibi for for exactly five minutes. <laughs> it says it came out in twenty twenty and we're at the end of twenty twenty one. Look, I mean, I Peter, I think if we wanted to investigate what did or did not show up on Quibi, we'll be here all fucking. <laughs> I think like Roku bought the rights to all their stuff. I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think it was split. I know, like, eventually we're supposed to see those new Reno 911 episodes <laughs> went straight to Quibi. Are they going to recut recut them into, like, actual episodes? I, I think they're going to make them shorter. <laughs> you didn't like them at five minutes, 30 seconds each. You figure out what the fuck's going on. They did genuinely, I'm not joking, they did genuinely take actual movies and cut them into I know. segments. And they just call them Quibi shorts. The miniseries. <laughs> And then people are like, you can just, and then like once Quippy went down, some of those movies just like popped up on like Amazon Prime, like or yeah. Amazon. You could just like watch them as movies. I do love that. Not only, I mean, it was a terrible idea to begin with. It never would have been successful. It's amazing how um, just because you are a rich person, people will be like, here's a billion dollars to do the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard of. Quick point. Uh, but, uh, but like, it's a, essentially funny that it like premiered the week of the pandemic or <laughs> whatever like it was like hey people are on the go a lot and you know they want to watch oh fuck no one's going anywhere <laughs> and they're like don't worry guys everyone's at home now on their phones you're like no 
Not doing, not watching Quibi, we aren't. I don't need shit TV, literally. Like, only TV I watch when I shit, that's what TikTok is. I got TikTok. I got TikTok. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we didn't do it, though, back in that month. We did have a really good um, um, packed house, but we were kind of like, well, we can, We I think we had an idea of eventually getting around to another Most Dangerous Game Theme Month because, again, even though there may or may not have already been a, a, a remake of this that's been released, uh, it's hard to think uh, – it, it's hard to think of at least um, – I don't want to say it's hard to think of. I guess it's probably not. But, like, this is one of those movies that just, like, everyone has used the concept um, from, like – the year after premiered to now. Like the idea of some sort of game where people are being hunted for sport. As noted, we did a whole month on it and didn't even need to bring in the original. And we had a list of like 10 or 12 movies that we were actually excited to talk about, not just like any any entry in the in the subgenre. So uh, there, this this short story that was based on and then the, the obviously the movie that came after it is just like a template – science fiction slash horror slash adventure premise at this point. Yeah. And it, it uh, so it came out, uh, the story uh, came out um, 24. So the story was written by a guy named Richard Connell. The story won awards immediately. It won the O. Henry award, which apparently was a, a literary award. Um, and he, uh, Richard Connell released it in 1924 and then this movie comes out, this 1932, about three years after the stock market crash in 1929. So, like, the book wasn't written with, like, the idea of rich people taking advantage of, of people and, and using them as playthings. Um, but that was just called the status quo. Yeah, that was just that was that was that wasn't that was just the status quo. I mean, it obviously was written with a sort of general sense of that because you don't make your villain a, a rich asshole without thinking that. Yeah, but it hits way different when the country is still very much recovering from the Great Depression, um, and some of the hardest parts of the Great Depression are still coming. Um, yeah, and so this, I mean, this movie suffered the Great Depression. They can only afford sixty-two minutes. Only 60, they couldn't even afford their old sets. They're like, hey, when King Kong goes to sleep, we'll make a movie. In it. <laughs> it is, it is like a pretty incredible story. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's way weirder, I would say, than the um, shooting the Spanish Dracula on the set of the uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula. The, the, yeah, because you're still shooting Dracula. Yeah, yeah, it's it's roughly the same story. The Spanish yeah. one is longer, but and it has a few other set pieces that like aren't in in the original story. It's like it, it uses the sets differently in terms of shots, like Not yeah. notably in Spanish. No, I mean, it's not just that Dracula is like Javier Bardem, yeah. Um, uh, but Ernest B. Uh, Shodasak and uh, Irving Pit, uh, Pitchell, uh, Pickle, um, they directed uh, King Kong. And then at night, they they shot this on uh, at night on sets, on the same sets. Yep. And what's funny is because of, because of the way they built sets at the time, you can tell. Like there's a sequence oh, yeah. involving a long log that they're running across that I'm like, oh, wait, I remember that from a fight, a fight sequence in King Kong where they're running away. Like there's there's certain moments when you're like, oh, that's absolutely like 100 percent. The set only works from this one angle. So it looks yeah. exactly like this one set. Yeah, it uh, very obvious. Um, and, and like. I, I think that's – I mean, not only do they have, like, again, they have a lot of the same 
stars. Uh, you know, they have uh, Faye Ray, notably, is in this movie. Robert Armstrong, Joe McCree, like they're all in, they're all in King Kong. But like, you know, I, Peter, I don't know. We've never done King Kong. I, I'm making a big assumption here, just based on knowing you in general. <laughs> but like, I like, I legitimately still love the original King Kong. I'd probably put it in my list of like top fifty favorite movies of all time. Like, I it was a movie that I saw first, like renting it for free. Renting is not even the right word. Borrowing it for free from the public library when like when libraries only had like thirty VHSs, not like a full full catalog of uh, movies that you could you could borrow and would just borrow it all the time. And I you know I even showed it to my kids like a couple years ago, and they they had a great time with it. So I I like. We've never covered on the show. We should at some point figure out a way to do that for all the reasons. But um, it's so – like the first time I saw this like five or six years ago, it was so fun to see these like sets that have been ingrained in my mind like being being utilized in this completely different capacity while still being like, you know, the, oh, I know exactly what that is, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's 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 something that like on paper I think you could go that's interesting, but like it actually adds a lot to my enjoyment of the movie. Absolutely, I, I love King Kong. I actually watched King Kong and the original Godzilla <clears throat> within the like the same week one uh, one year. I don't remember like 2015, 2016 and I'd never seen either of them. And oh. fascinating movies to watch. When you haven't actually seen them, but you sort of have you them, like, yeah, and yeah, you feel like you have. When you you feel because well, like I'm assuming you had seen like the Peter Jackson remake and stuff. Right? I had seen the Peter Jackson remake once or twice. I think twice in theaters actually, and then um, I had seen the Godzilla Matthew Broderick remake, the Roland Emmerich movie, um, uh, when I was a kid a bunch, but. It was one one those... featuring Puff Daddy and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, and I used to watch. Uh huh. Yeah. That's what I would say if you asked me that question. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, Well, I'm being the Jimmy Page here, so I go... Yeah, that, that, you know how I feel about Godzilla movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> You're not good unless Jacob Dylan. <laughs> um, yeah, the but I had seen a bunch of random Godzilla movies growing up, and I like thought you know i i basically have seen the original godzilla i had not uh similar to that i had not seen the original king kong and one thing that the original king kong and uh most dangerous game have in common is they're both pre-code horror movies yes which doesn't necessarily always mean that they're more violent or more crazily violent uh or that they have more sex or, or whatever um it doesn't always mean that but uh, in the particular case of King Kong, <laughs> like King Kong, yeah. is, this movie has some moments where I'm like, holy shit, he broke his neck. Um, King Kong has like moments that are shockingly violent, but for what you expect from the standards of the era. And in a way that like the remake needs to put a lot of extra gas on the pedal to kind of like outdo it. Like the, the remake has to have basically wrestling sequences between the, yeah. the dinosaurs and what if, King what Kong. if bugs are on them for, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's true. Like, I, I don't think this, this, this has like incidents that like, um, 
still like first time I saw it felt surprising just because they're in a we've talked about that the like you know 30s and 40s like black and white era movies like sometimes you forget they're pre-code and so like all of a sudden like when a dog gets stabbed hypothetically uh it it's like oh wait holy fuck or oh did they kill that guy I thought they weren't allowed to kill you know they, I thought they weren't allowed to kill that guy um and those those moments are like fun. It also kind of gives a track of like where Hollywood could have gone quicker or differently outside of the outside of the Hayes Code because it was definitely like it's it's not like it was like you know just a orgy of like sex and violence or something like that immediately out of the gate, but you know they were like into telling more vicious stories that kind of had to give way to these like weird uh, uh, rounded off edges. I don't think there's one though that still like surprises me along the lines of like from a horror perspective like I think Island of Lost Souls Peter you and I were both like holy fuck like what happened at the end of that movie that was a 1932 movie I was not anticipating that or even something like uh, 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 Design for Living the Ernest Lubitsch movie that like is essentially about uh, spoilers for a movie from 1931. Uh, basically, like, oh, we can exist as a thruple. Uh, uh, we don't. We don't need to. De- the girl does not need to decide who. Uh, we all like each other. Let's just be a thruple. Uh, and so, like, the, I feel like those are a little more shocking than um, than like a King Kong or a. Um, or even a most dangerous game, but it still like has moments that you just would not have gotten in a version of this that was made in 1933 or 1934 or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like the funny thing about this movie that like, I think anybody who watches it would, would kind of shock them is how fucking fast it moves. And yet it isn't until 40 minutes in that the game starts and the movie yeah. is a 62 minute movie. Uh, I've seen the runtime erroneously uh, written out as like an hour 12, but like the best that no, Criterion and most of these distributors can do is, is 62 minutes. I do not actually know if like there is 10 minutes missing or if that's just a common. There, no, I don't think up. I don't think there is from what I can find. It's not like 62 is rounding up from like 101 to 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so it's. It is a fast, fast movie. It's over before you realize it. And in that sense, it actually is incredibly dense. Uh, the, the the movie uh, essentially like introduces you to an entire cast. They have a philosophical discussion about what the movie's about. And then yeah. six minutes later, all of them but one are dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Our, our star is sad about it. Um, uh, this guy yeah, the movie is moving kind of too fast for this Robert Rainsford character to... It's okay, look, there's, hey, there's no wrong way to process grief, and that includes being like, oh, well, the next person I see, I'm going to say, how you doing, sir? Hope you're having a lovely afternoon. Uh, all Everyone I know in the world drowned moments ago, but that's not a reason to not be extra polite. Um, so before we get too far along, there's uh, a couple other movies we wanted to do uh, for our – we're going to do another, I, I think, Man is the Most Dangerous Game Month. Uh, I, I doubt we'll be doing a Quibi show, dash one movie. Um, but uh, another one – No, we're going to save that for Quibi Month. Seven, the Contenders. Yeah, we're going to save that for Quibi Month. Oh, yeah. Well, when we do the Quibi Month. There is – okay, so – What are your two really bit. quick – Top five Quibi shows. 
quit quibbling with me a quibby original um do they ever get to the other part of the quibble or is it just announcing what the theme is and then it's over um like here's no, my quibble oh no the show's over it's like a who shot jr that we were gonna find out the next season but then it got canceled um and uh another one is um uh christmas eve in nantucket and it's about a guy who had a uh, dick so long and the, can- the show got canceled before he could find out what he could do with it. <laughs> You're like, Am um, I supposed to hold my phone sideways? I thought these were all supposed to be watched uh, vertical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, one was about the, uh, it's called, um, then, then they did one that was a full biography of uh, William Henry Harrison, uh, the president who only served for a month. Oh, that's the one where they do, like, that was, like, 24, right? Where, like, it took place in real time. Yeah, it's one for every minute he was not. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Less than 75 eps. <laughs> not a good arc, because he gets the sniffles almost immediately. <laughs> My favorite is, the, like, the pilot ending that gets you set for the rest of the series, where it's like, put on a car! <laughs> um there was uh, what of else? Course, That's, so those are three you got two left yeah yeah uh you know there's there's a lot of other stuff uh a show that just scans danny devito from floor to uh top of his forehead only takes about five minutes it's a special mini episode <laughs> it's moving in like ultra slow motion like time lapse <laughs> Yeah, it's like the opening of Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, okay. You have to watch it physically. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, one is the um, just it's it's weird. It's like a documentary, and it's just um, it's the longest sex Aaron has ever had, and it's also just a one one episode special. That's a quibby short. <laughs> yeah, it's a quibby short. Yeah, they actually uh, yeah. they broke the format. It's only three minutes long. Most of that was me saying uh, at the for for two minutes at the end. It, this usually goes longer. <laughs> <laughs> I counted that because I didn't leave her. It's, like, yeah, I was, still, it's, I was still inside, like seeing if I could get something going again. Uh, it's yeah, it's like the end of uh, The Last of Us Two, where you just kind of she knows it's a lie, and he knows it's or the end of The Last of Us One, where she knows it's a lie, and he knows it's a lie, but they just she just says okay. I gotta tell you, if it was the end of The Last of Us Part 2, that's a much more apocalyptic scenario. (laughs) Yeah, very different ending, I would say. Um, Why's your dick so skinny? (laughs) Give it a meal! (laughs) Uh, All right, well, those are your top five. I get it. Here's my top five. Yeah, Uh, clip it up. Yeah, really quickly. Uh, So, one of my favorites was, of course, hashtag free Rayshon, which is about an accused... Man, uh, it's difficult pathway to exoneration survival. Uh, pretty, pretty good. That was a good one. It ran from, from what I can remember, April thirteenth, twenty twenty, to April 29th, twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, I also really liked uh, a show called Cup of Joe, Cup uh, which of Joe. is Joe. 
Yeah, Joe Jonas journeys through eight cities worldwide, celebrity friends, helping experience the cities. This is a this is a later to the Quibi. Uh, it uh, premiered on April twenty seventh, of course, twenty twenty. Uh, ended on April twenty ninth, twenty twenty. I was a big fan of the reboot of Singled Out. Um, you know, four point five uh, on IMDb. I thought it was better. That, of course, premiered on April 6th of 2020, and much like the other ones I mentioned, ended on April 29th of 2020. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, great. I mean, who didn't like Singled Out? Uh, any show that makes Jenny uh, McCarthy famous, I'm always like, bring it back, baby. Yeah. Um, One of my, uh, oh, cannot forget, Skirt with Offset, uh, which is about a uh, car collector Offset. Uh, talks uh, to a celebrity uh, rapper friends about the cars that they buy. That's a great for every, like, just a day-to-day blue-collar worker can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, that, of course, premiered April 26th, ended uh, its uh, series on April 29th of um, of 2020. Uh, and then, of course... It's like, uh, the you know, the candle that burns twice as bright turn, burns out twice as fast. And I'm, assu- I'm like, assuming the these candle even are burning just... at all? I mean, I'm assuming... <laughs> I'm saying the end dates are coincidence. Um, one of my other favorites is uh, Elba versus Block, which is of course uh, uh, they didn't they didn't let him play Bond, but they did like let actor uh, Idris Elba and rally driver Ken Block go head to head in increasingly outrageous automotive stunts to prove whose car and driver was the best. Now I don't know how outrageous they end up getting because much like other Quibi shows, this premiered on April 13th of 2020 and ended on April 29th of 2020. But it was starting to go somewhere. So that's why it's number five on my list. I assume potentially, they're dead. That's why the show ended, right? Well, potentially if that it would last pretty to, outrageous, right? to May 5th of 2020 or even May 8th, we may have seen it get really outrageous. But they were still just basically driving cars. When I when I left them on April 29th, ninth, twenty twenty, I I don't. I mean, those I, are my favorites. I mean, yeah, different. The, to, you know, that seems like a pretty cool. That seems like a pretty cool list of of Quibi shows that are. Are you sure those are all actually premiered on Quibi? I could have sworn some of them lasted longer than what was it, April twenty seventh, two thousand and twenty. Uh, yeah, one of them was April twenty seventh to April 29th. Um. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. That's that's actually that's. I mean, how many episodes of Cup of Joe do you need about Joe? Yeah. I mean, it's about Joe Jonas. Like, the fact that it made it two days is is somewhat shocking. I mean, I got. I'm not saying it's a bad show. It was my like number two or three rank. I'm just saying that like two days worth of episodes, and I was good for the rest of my life. That's of course. uh, I think that was 15 minutes worth of, of Cup of Joe. Yeah, nice satisfying uh, meal. Uh, you know, you wanted, well, I guess not even a meal. Nice satisfying beverage. Nice cup of joe in the morning. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure that they appreciate um, Joe Jonas uh, at the Quibi Network, which is still existing, because uh, his name, you know, Quibi, Quick Bites, Joe Jonas, smushed together. You could just call him Joe. I'm just kind of putting together that it's called Quick Bites. That, that's what Quibi was short for, which is somewhat shocking. I mean, because here's... As the number one Quibi was, fan, I'm surprised that you didn't know this already. You were just like, I love this idea. I'm I mean, in. Here, here's the thing. Like, bites already imply a short part. Like, I don't... Like, uh, if, if a meal is everything I'm going to be eating... 
Mm-hmm. I like if I'm going to break them the, my meal into other increments. Mm-hmm. A lot of options on the table. My go-to one to say like short is bite. I don't think I know many people that are taking long bites unless they have a, 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 a high propensity for choking on accident. Then maybe they're chewing a little bit longer than maybe a you or a me or other people that chew a normal amount of time. But like, I don't. But I don't even I think w- that would that would be a long chew. Like a long bite would be if you have like you're a shark. Or yeah, I suppose really that's long like a teeth. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because the bite is really just even the first part. So, like, that's even quicker than, like, digesting the bite. Mm-hmm. If all you're talking – like, if we're just talking on the table just the bites. Yeah. That is, like – that's breaking down the concept of bites even more. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you get more – or sorry, excuse me. How you get less content? So, um, you remember? And have you ever seen uh, Transformers the movie? Yeah, I have. Peter, I love that movie. Did you know? Not know that? It doesn't seem like something you'd like. Um, but uh, Transformers the movie is uh, there's a, a a character named uh, Unicron. Are yeah, you familiar with the he takes some. Yeah, oh, I, no, wait, he was. He's mostly known as a biter. So a planet biter. A planet biter. So if he were, say, eating a very soft planet, he could take long bites and really really like chew on the meal, chew on that planet, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean but if it was a hard like planet, which he likes he likes metal planets. Yeah. He's got to do most, quick most bites in order to penetrate the steel steel uh, bodies of, of the various robots that he is is digesting in order to make himself yeah. stronger as Unicron. Yeah, I mean even Jupiter, which is a mostly gooey planet, has a has a hard center. So it's like a to- it's like the Tootsie Pop of, of Now I'm hungry. Now I'm thinking about all these quick of, bites uh, and these Tootsie Pops. Yeah, the maybe idea Quibi should have been a maybe Quibi should have been a, a, a candy. Honestly, the whole the whole concept of the a very soft- hard candy. The soft bites that you wouldn't even need to bite is really intriguing, and I, I think we should start a platform that's based on like, you know, when you're not biting food, like a like a shake or something, just mm-hmm. put in the blender or something for you, like, you know, like a like a suck. So we call it like quicksa, quib quisu, 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 which is of course short for a quick suck. And those are shows that are one minute long, and we're advertising right up front. These shows suck. <laughs> but the, the experience... These are not good shows. No, These... no, they're not good, but the, but at least they're short, you know? They're they're quick. You can get it over it's with. It's a quick suck. And then, you know, if you have trouble, like, uh, you know, telling people, like, oh, man, sorry, I haven't watched The Wire yet. Uh, quit bugging me. You can be like, oh, jeez, I haven't watched Squid Games yet. Quit bugging me. Um, you could be like, oh, sorry, I was too busy having a quizza. Yeah, a quizza. Um, yeah, our premiere show will, of course, be a sequel to the to Quibi's Danny DeVito show, where we move instead of from from toe to head. Uh, in, uh, in five minutes, we move from head to toe in one minute, and people are just happy it's over quicker. <laughs> <laughs>
you still get to see all of Danny DeVito, but we're what we're proposing we go the opposite way, so it's a sequel because, like, you know, the 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 cliffhanger from the last movie is that the camera was at his head, right? Like mm-hmm. showing him in profile. So, like, the follow up is that where's the camera go? Back down, but remember they, remember much those, quicker, five times as quick. About that guy who would post – those guys that would talk about – those articles, there was like, I don't know, a six-month period where everyone I don't, was assuming – I assume they were huffing paint fumes or something. Um, they There was a guy who posted and put his face on and his, his name on, his, his public image behind an article that was saying that he watches all TV shows at one and a half speed. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that brain-dead individual, that absolute sack of shit. <clears throat> uh, not by name, but I remember him by like um, the 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 swears I yelled at the moon. Yeah, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird how like you know some guys come home from work and they you know they're mad at their boss, so they you know they kick their dog or whatever. Uh, yeah. You have a I believe a healthier habit, but it's whenever you're mad at someone online, you yell at the moon. <laughs> I do. Uh, I don't understand how online works well, uh, but I know how to yell at the moon. You heard that. Uh, you heard that all the internet is in satellites, and you. Um, I'm it bounces. You were like, "What's the biggest satellite? The moon." Here, here's what I know. This is just basic science. Tell me what you know. The moon does not produce its own light. It does, however, reflect sunlight from the sun. So. Logically, uh, the moon is not producing its own anger towards the individual who wrote such a dumb fucking article and lives a dumb, sad fucking life. Yeah, what a fucking loser. But hopefully, if I yell at the moon, it will reflect and, and back to him. And he'll be like, ugh. Yeah, why am I doing that? Uh, if I wanted to suck, I should just read Wikipedia articles and, and learn plots of things. Like, why am I bothering? But, you know, this person... No longer do they have to be pathetic. Now they just need a Quissa. The streaming service for people that have no fucking taste. Yeah. Ours go up to 100 times speed. You could you could get through one of those bad boys in 0.6 seconds. And you could write about it for your dumb failed blog. Yeah. Like Bloomberg pick it up or whatever the fuck's wrong with you. Yeah. Like uh, the, the frame that tells you uh, where you're at in the episode and all that, that just never goes away. Never goes away. You say you don't need to skip intro. Boom. On to the next quiz. 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 Peter, speaking of things that suck uh, and are quick, do you want to finish this episode? Talk more about the most dangerous game. To be clear, I'm saying we're the problem, not the most dangerous game. Yeah, we're the problem. And us being uh, enrolled in a most dangerous game scenario would be the solution. So I guess I'll be hunting I think that's become our thing. We have bits that we exhaust, and then we have, like, this giant orgasm <laughs> where we get out all the juice. I would be pretty mad if in, a, if in a new episode you started doing Jay stuff again. I'd be pretty mad. Yeah, I know. Pretty, We've killed it. Killed it's it. dead. It's dead. So, uh, Peter. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, 
Uh, Peter. <clears throat> I know what happens in The Dangerous The game. world's divided into Hunter and the Hunted. Now nothing can ever change that. <laughs> I want to start with that because it's my favorite thing that happens in the movie. They're having this long diatribe about yeah. all this stuff and he's like, what? And he's like, well, I think the theme of the movie is this, but... Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to be wrong about that. And then hey, the Joel, explodes. what if uh, what if people hunted you? Thankfully, that will never happen. That's a direct <laughs> quote from the beginning of the movie, where that same man gets gets uh, gets. Uh, and you know, it's hunted. not a, intended to be funny because it's followed it's up not, by no. a pretty horrific and effective sequence of the boiler room killing a bunch of people, and then. The boiler room killing a bunch of people, and then everybody getting killed by sharks and screaming out in agony. People yeah. drowning, like people drowning. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, but it, but it is like if like before, uh, before Marty goes back in time, like before he even knows there's a time machine, and he's like talking to a friend at school, and they're like, "What would you do if you went back and your mom wanted to kiss you?" And he's like, Ugh, "Thankfully, that will never happen." <laughs> Your mom was pretty hot. What if she, what if you were nice? Well, you'd probably have sex with her. No, nah, I'm never going to have to deal with that specific scenario. But my answer is an emphatic no. <laughs> I didn't realize how much Marty McFly and Shinji Ikari have in common, but... <laughs> we know. You've been watching. <laughs> yeah. It's old news for everyone listening to this cast. We news. have recorded that episode. Second hand But news. it is old news. Uh, yeah, it's old news. But yeah, I love the idea of a movie just saying, uh, spending five minutes explaining exactly what it is, and then a character going very smugly, like, huh, well, uh, at least I'll never uh, find out uh, what happens in all these Star Wars. And then he finds you're, out what happens with the Star Wars. You're a successful uh, major league team. You think you're going to make it to the World Series? Oh, I think so. It's not like some 12-year-old that can throw 100-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> and do a botch surgery. is going to derail our efforts. <laughs> hey, Lou Gehrig, I, I heard you're dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> it's not like anybody's going to come up with some sort of oil to stop that. <laughs> Wait, is that the plot of Lorenzo's oil? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know who Lorenzo is. I just know who characterizes Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, but I don't know who's Lorenzo. I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming he makes some really fucking good oil. I mean, he'd have to. The movie's not called Lou Gehrig, so he must be well, the why? he yeah, must why? be the Lou Gehrig of oil guys. Uh, this is wildly off track. Uh, but one of my favorite Norm McDonald Saturday Night Live uh, sketches is the uh, one where he's giving the like verbatim Lou Gehrig speech. Like, I consider myself the luckiest man who ever lived. And everyone applauds. He's like, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I have a disease so rare, they named it after me. <laughs> I might be the unluckiest man who ever lived. Uh, good, mo uh, good morning, President Kennedy. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> Just fine. All my brains are in here. <laughs> Off to Dallas. One thing I like is going to give a speech in a campaign town with all my brains in my head. 
And you need those brains to lead the country, sir. <laughs> yes, I do. That's why I will have all my brains in my head forever. I will hoard them most greedily. I mean, I guess they do it like, a, you know, they do do it in some more modern movies. Like at the beginning of United 93 when the person's like, I'll call you when I land. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't. They, they don't. <laughs> Based on your reaction, that might be a cutout joke. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, where were we? Um, there probably yeah. is something on like that movie where someone's like, "Man, I hope this is like uh, an easy flight. I hate turbulence." <laughs> and you, as the viewer, are like, "Oh no!" Little do they know they're getting on a nine eleven. One of the hijackers looks immediately at the camera and drops their sunglasses. <laughs> This gives like a little Jim from the office look. <laughs> it's hard to do the look on camera, but everyone knows that that's the noise that accompanies it. Yeah. And then they play the theme from Caddyshack. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's told... For, if, what people are not looking for is United 93 told from the perspective of the hijack. <laughs> Probably not. No. Um, that's what Four Lions is for. Yeah, Four Lions is good. 9-11's bad. We should, we four Lions good. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely do Four Lions and not United 93 at the show. I, I don't think we're the people to cover United 93, Peter. I'm going to say that, you know, self-awareness is important in the podcasting game. And I think that we should not cover United 93 for any reason on this show. It's actually very brave of you to say that. It's not for us. Yeah, I was going to only do 9-11 movies. Is United 93 the only good non-documentary 9-11 movie? I mean, it has to be, right? Because like, the, the World Trade Center was pretty bad. Ladder 49 was pretty bad. Ladder 49 was a 9-11 movie? They made a firefighter movie in the 2000s, wasn't it a 9-11 movie? I just Maybe it was like a backdraft thing. Oh, uh, was it just like a... It, it was just like firefighters are cool. I mean, I'm assuming that's what it was. <laughs> Most of them are not rescue me. We're like, hey, firefighters are cool, but we suck. <laughs> they did make a movie after 9-11 that was just about a serial killer or a serial arsonist that's, that is a firefighter. I'm trying to remember. There's that. I mean, there's there's Remember Me, which is the one that like the, mm -hmm. the notebook guy who Please, like. I can never forget. Yeah. Who is like, <laughs> that is. That's how the movie ends with the most dangerous game day where it's like, congrats on your first day at the World Trade Center. Pants <laughs> to the calendar and it's 9-11-2001. <laughs> oh, it's an old joke that's been around. People were like, what the fuck is that? But it's never not going to be funny. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 good. Oh, it's good. People you're going to love it here at Chernobyl. <laughs> 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 we really have a good work-life balance here at Pearl Harbor, so you're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's today's date? <laughs> it's hard to say. I will, uh, you know, part of the problem is, like, guys, this is a great movie. It is 62 minutes, and it basically is, like, uh, uh, 20 minutes of hiding in the from bows and arrows. Um 20 minutes of, like, this guy seems evil. Uh, and then 20 minutes of, oh, all my friends are dead. Can I have a cup of coffee? <laughs> so, I do have, like, a, 
I do have like a final like I have a few things on, I want to talk. I have things to say on it, but like I could vamp and then just talk for four minutes and then tell you everything I think about this movie. I know it's it's it. This is I think actually why we decided not to do it a while ago is just because it's like yeah, it's good, but like, what do you have to say? Do you want to just quickly go through like the bullet yeah. points if you haven't seen it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, begins with a bunch of hunters that are returning from a hunt uh, in, is it Africa this time? The book is Africa. Movie is South America. So, it begins with a bunch of hunters, rich hunters. One of them, a very famous one named Robert Rainsford. He's the only one that has a name in the room that matters uh, because all of them are about to die, as I uh, indicated. They are discussing a hunt they just went on, and it sounds like they're sort of a loose hunting club with they hire a photographer, they bring along a photographer to take action photos of the hunt, uh, and they're sort of talking about the thesis of the movie, which is that <clears throat> how come uh, the thesis of the movie is kind of built on a very 1930s idea of what hunting is, but how come it's uh, an animal in the wild is considered, uh, you know, savage for, you know, eating a, eating a child or something, but a... Uh, uh, when a, a man puts on, uh, you know, his his khaki pants and his uh, big safari hat and gets his big elephant rifle out, uh, he's suddenly civilized. And the main character very smugly is like, well, the difference, well, you know, we actually both are, consider ourselves to be on the hunt. We respect each other. Uh, you know, when I was stalking him, he was as much stalking me. And when he charged me, it was an act of respect, like all this bullshit. And then the person before he dies asks him basically like, well, do you think that's true? Like, do you think you would want to be in the the, the tiger's uh, footsteps or uh, the tiger's shoes, basically? And then that question doesn't get answered, and then it gets asked again later in the movie. Um, but that's the that's kind of the thesis. Well, because he's like, that will never happen. That'll never happen. That's the thesis of this movie: is a hunter becomes the the hunted, but in um, a way that like. In a way that, like, is very much trying to set up um, that uh, it's very much trying to challenge ideas of, like, this how man has separated itself from uh, yeah. the wild, so to speak. Uh, how man has, has, has quarantined its sort, of, its sort of killing and its sort of hunting as a sort of civilized activity because we do it. Whereas if it happens in nature, it's a disgusting, vicious thing. Yeah, and it's also, like, trying to say, like, how do, like, how do we hunt man-like game, right? Like, so, we'll get to this, but, like, um, it's about trying to give man the same uh, animal advantages, where, like, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have a gun, but he has, like, we're going to give you a head start to understand the, the terrain, we're going to give you a knife uh, as way of claws. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to hunt man as an equal. Uh, I want to hunt almost like a more primitive version of an man if they had never developed uh, industry in any capacity. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is sort of has rings of Battle Royale where there's a random element to the weapons. Um, yeah. Like, there is there is an inherent asymmetry here, but the uh, man that is, uh, is hunting our main characters, uh, which we'll get to in just a moment, uh, as Aaron indicated, he's sort of trying to replicate 
you know, what what if you took a, 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 a extremely experienced hunter survivalist? He writes books about how to survive. All this Count Zaroff has read all of them. What if you took all all of these? skills and lessons and had a, a hunter um, actually have to be put to the test as a hunter would it would it still be a good game and uh, how we get there is that the ship uh, runs aground and explodes most of the crew uh, dies in that initial sort of burst and then the rest are eaten by sharks and so this is just like a very like exciting vicious violent action sequence where some die in the explosion, some drowned, some because they can't swim, some because others can't swim and they hold the people that can swim under the water. Uh, and then the sharks take care of the rest of them. And as a survivalist, Robert Rainsford swims to shore and uh, on shore, he finds this uh, castle uh, and knocks on the door, enters it, meets this Count Zaroff, uh, who's this... He's a Russian that escaped after the revolution with, he says, with most of his money, um, which is sort of a common trope at the time. And it's, it's you know, there's a romanticism in um, in stories like this. There's a and the story of Anastasia is also sort of like a the romanticism of this, like, you know, before those. Before those those Bolsheviks tore down the doors and killed all the Romanovs, like you know, there were some some civilized people in there, and they they got swept up in this stupid revolution, um, this bloody awful revolution, yada yada. Like not my opinion, but it's the opinion of the prevailing American opinion at the time, at least in media. Um, and this is sort of playing off of that. This Russian uh, has some uh, fellow uh, Cossacks who are serving in his uh, in his, his, his castle and helping him administer this game out in the jungle. Uh, and so <laughs> guests just slowly disappear. He treats them amicably. He pumps them full of spirits and good food and gives them a change of clothes. Like he's very civilized in how he treats their guests. But as soon as the moment comes that you become part of the game, you are part of the game. You're kicked out in the jungle. And you have, let's say, from dinner time until midnight to go and, you know, get a head start with your knife. And then after midnight, um, you have to make it to dawn to survive. And no one has ever done it. Yeah. So also joined uh, the, the main character, uh, Joel McRae. Um, he uh, he is joined by or immediately entranced by uh, Eve Trowbridge, um, who, you know, is Faye Ray from King Kong. Um, beautiful, charming lead. Uh, and her brother, Robert Armstrong, who's also in King Kong, plays her, like, drunk brother. Um, very insufferable. <laughs> and uh, the drunk brother is separated from the group. And she sort of confides in Robert that um, the she thinks the Count is doing something lascivious because she no has been paying attention and, and playing the game, like, being a good guest. Or, sorry, yeah, being a good guest in the, the house. Uh, but she's basically saying like, yeah, we need to figure something out because he's, something's happening. Like, I know the boats are coming every night, but he's keeps saying, oh, the boats aren't coming yet. The boats won't come for days. So yeah. something's happening where he won't let us leave. And, uh, so she confides in him and then, uh, the brother disappears and these two sneak out of their room at night to go and investigate and they discover the brother's corpse and they are pushed into the game. So Hold on. they discover way more than that. I don't know if we'll get back to it, but one of my favorite moments is like they discover the mounted hat, like a, like a fucking deer on the on the wall. 
Oh, yeah, that's a really cool pre-code moment because, like, you, yeah. could, you could have taxidermied animals all you wanted, but yeah. it's pretty shocking to see a yeah. human head a little a little deflated and, and leathery uh, just hanging yeah. on a wall. Yeah, great moment. Great moment. Um, and Count Zaroff starts to reveal his true self at this point because the question he's asking is, like, does... Is there actually sportsmanship in this hunt? Is yeah. there or is it just, you know, violence against violence? And we just put a, you know, we we put a pretty suit on on the whole endeavor because we're man and, and man needs a way to live with themselves and what we do. Um, and hunting for, for sport uh, has become an obsession of this Count Zarov. He's hunted all, all over the world using his extensive fortune. And he's now come to the conclusion that the only man, the only game worth hunting is man. Um, yeah. So he, he he conscripts those two into the game uh, and says, if you, yeah, like you said, if you if you make it, here's to, your knife, here's your water, you get a day's head start. Yeah, so get a, get out there. You survive till sunset the next morning. Let you go free. Yeah, and he, he gives them a clue like, don't go in this foggy section. Like people always die there. Like he's trying to make the game spicy for himself. He's not. He's not play- he's not necessarily just playing it on easy mode so he can like rack it up. He's 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 looking for a little bit of challenge. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically even. Like, don't go in the foggy spot. That's your advantage. I'm telling you the trick. My advantage? Guns and 80 dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, henchmen. So that's the, 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 the inherent asymmetrical nature of the game is important because um, while I, I, you could never argue that the original story or this is necessarily some sort of anti-hunting or, um, you know, pro-vegetarian uh, or vegan message uh, in its intention, uh, you could read it in, in, in that way. Like the idea that treating men like animals for a little bit in a horror yeah. context, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, why do we... Why do we do this for a bit of fun when we can easily get sustenance in other ways that are less cruel? Well, also, like, I think it does have what you called earlier with, like, why part of the reason the movie was a success and the novel or the short story became more of a success is, like, we do have this idea of, like, industrial leaders or, you know, for lack of a better term, rich people who um, treat other people like their their animals for sport or for work or you know whatever else it is and like one of the things that like you know you can kind of see a corollary to in this in this movie is the idea you know that kind of just struck me is like as we met more and more like you know rich people who see themselves as equal that like the inherent unfairness of their situation i don't think that they are potentially capable of understanding. Like, I, I think that Count Zaroff um, thinks that there is a there is a uh, a true you know game afoot. That there is there is like I have some advantages. He has some advantages. You know, I might be tilting it a little in my favor, but there's some equality at play here. And like you think of that of like all the quote unquote self made millionaires and billionaires who are kind of writing away their advantage as minor. Um, look at an Elon Musk who's like, oh God. I, you know, I only had $20 million from my parents' fucking mines and then I made $100 million or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you started with $20 million. That's like the, the thing that Donald Trump, like, 
you you know you got an x amount of money from your dad he's like well i had i eventually paid it back it's like sure but who has who has access to an interest free 2.5 million dollars or whatever it was uh, to to like start something and i and I, connections and the safety net to fail yeah. and just ev- everything going for them well, it's not even it's talking like, about their white privilege or the fact yeah. that they're men or like yeah. any of that other stuff, but like the fact that you are essentially playing in a in, in a, a walled garden uh, that uh, that many of us do not have access to. Well, and I was even reading like this really good article um, about like how uh, many of our favorite like writers and directors and actors and like musicians are like come from rich families like when you hear about they were struggling musicians for a long time or something like that or struggling actors they were struggling with like still being someone that makes it out of the pack the the reason why they were able to keep struggling and like not die of starvation because we our society has no safety net for people without access to income whatsoever um, is because they had families who were able to continue supporting their dream like uh and it doesn't mean they're not making worthwhile like art and stuff like that but like even that kind of like a uh, struggling artist narrative is predicated on the idea that like they had someone supporting the struggle and then made it big and that's why you just find that so often like oh like you know i really love you know nick kroll he struggles as an underground comic for like oh his dad's a hundred millionaire oh okay well that you know that makes more and like they were talking about how this repeats over and over that if you go to wikipedia and you look up your favorite like person who just recently made it big but may have been like on the scene for a long time you'll just find like oh is their you know is their last name have a whole other entry or their family members have whole other entries and like that is actually more common than i think people suspect and i, I and, and like it just is interesting that i read that article within like two days of watching this movie and talking about it for the podcast because you do recognize that this like narrative of like which which you know and on a larger scale is the lie of the american dream and manifest destiny right like anyone has an equal chance of making it uh you have an equal chance of surviving this hunt like I'm gonna be playing the hunter, you're gonna be playing the prey. But you know, you you don't have to kill me. You just need to survive. Like all these things that, from his perspective, is leveling the playing field in the same way that we lie to our citizens about. And then you know, he is saying again, you have, uh, you only have to survive. I'm giving you these hints. Here's your knife. And he's putting that on par with like fucking owns the island. <laughs> Has lived there for 20 years, has uh, access to all the guns in the world, henchmen to keep himself safe, an army of tracking dogs. Like, in in his mind, Zarov's mind, that is uh, a type of equality. And, and, and notice another thing is that uh, he offers Rainsford a chance to join him as a hunter. Yeah, because because he, he already survived. Like, he sees a pedigree there. They're like, you're already a hunter. <laughs> you like like the people that died in that boat accident are not like necessarily like defensible people. That's yeah. a whole different conversation. <laughs> but they are rich capitalists who are going on massive like hunts. Um probably, you know, industrial uh people like that. So like, yeah, there's 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 that whole thing. Um and even like he just sees it as like 
you can almost make the case that his whole thing is like, well, I don't want to be the the hunted because I see myself in a different light. And so, no, I will not play your game. And no, I do not want to, like, take orders from you. Um, Pretty stupid, I, I, though, because he should have waited until he gave him a gun. And then it's like three dudes. Like, he would have been fine. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but like, this is the era when good guys don't do deceptive things like that to, to come out on top. They play their, they play everything straight on the nose. Right. Um, but the, another point to note here, um, and I sort of hinted it at in the intro is the perspectives on hunting flipped in the past 100 years. This movie is perspectives have changed on that. Even, uh, one thing I was reading is, is that even, uh, amongst people that can never afford exotic hunting found a sense of colonialist, uh, you know, uh, proxy adventurism in it. The idea that yeah. people were going off to Africa and hunting these man eating tigers or shooting these, these violent creatures or bringing back, you know, elephant tusks, uh, is something that even people that were, um, that can never afford those hobbies uh, would look down on. I think that now in the hundred years since, uh, as someone from the Midwest and has been around like a lot of hunters, um, this is something that like I uh, I think perspectives have definitely shifted because like everybody I know finds the fact that like the Trump even people I know that voted for Trump um, find the fact that the Trump boys hunt exotic animals or the owner of yeah. Jimmy John's hunts exotic an- animals or like all <clears throat> uh, there's a there's a restaurant here in San Diego that uh, called uh, Pachamama that I'll, I we all just decided we're never going to again because we found out the owner is this like billionaire who has been photographed um, uh, yeah on like exotic hunts hunting like you know, rare animals that are not supposed to be hunted. Um, yeah. And operating on very, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, dubious, um, sort of a dubious legality. Like nobody's going to legally go after them. But what they did was like kind of like a weird loophole. Um, but yeah, perspectives on hunting have shifted to the point. Like I know a lot of people that either hunt regularly uh, or used to hunt regularly or come from hunting families who find all of that sort of exotic and, and sport and trophy hunting, like really disgusting. Yeah, um, I think there's a I think there's a I, I'm not going to say it's a lie, but I think there's a um, a defense or a perspective that makes people defend the like. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I know I know a lot of people who hunt who think like that kind of like um I'm going to hunt to show how cool I am, shitty. Like I, I I'm you know, I spend a lot of my time uh in, you know, elementary school through high school in North Dakota. I know a lot of people who hunt. Most people that I know who hunt, um I've never got hunting. I've could not have less interest in hunting. Uh for all the reasons. But um most of the people I know that hunt then make like sausages and jerky and like they're my they're, father-in-law yeah that's they're hun- yeah they're he hunting he hunts like a deer or two a year and use and yeah. like every single part of it goes somewhere yeah and like the idea is like well you have to get a tag it's based on the population these are conservation efforts like rightly or wrongly uh you know the deer population and humanity needs to be kept in a certain check right like so I think there's a there's a story that that exists that kind of like even if you are a someone who is against that that goes and says well 
someone's got to kill this deer because we can't have the deer population get this high. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat it. And I think like, even though that bears no interest for me and I, I'll be honest, like I just saw a friend of mine on Facebook who posted like went for my first ever deer hunt. And it's just like, but why would you want to do that? Like, like that sucks, dude. Like that was my, that was my thought process seeing that. I think there's that the idea of like, I want to go kill an elephant or a, a lion to show that I have the, a huge dick and I'm just going to take a picture with it and leave it dead. I do think that even people that are amenable to hunting find that gross. Not all of them. I mean, there is this the small dick NRA people who are, you know, very much in that. Yeah. Of like, like Sarah Palin like, used to hunt yeah. bears from a helicopter. Like. Yeah. Or like the, even like, you know, the Dick Cheney like shot his friend in the face thing hunting. Like they literally just throw the birds out. You shoot them. Like. On what level besides being just a sociopath is that fun? Yeah, yeah. And and, 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 and there is like – I can't necessarily I, – like I have friends who deer hunt. I have friends who do yeah. elk hunting. Like there's a lot of conservation efforts that are needed to keep the population in check. Like they do all their permitting. They skip some years when the population is too low and they're like, yeah, it sucks. But, you know. I'm not doing this. I can go up to, yeah. this, to, this, to the corner store and get venison. Like, the, yeah, I can go. I, I, I would prefer to, you know, buy, you know, beef or pork or whatever. Like, um, but they uh, the, I have some respect for that, like, because it's it always comes from a conservationist perspective. Um, yeah. And I don't. And some of them do bow hunting, too, which is like kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, because it's less disruptive to the overall nature around it, yeah. yada, yada. Um, like, I don't necessarily, even as somebody who's, like, gradually been cutting down their meat use over the years and all animal product use over the years, um, I, even I don't really have a whole lot of, like, like much to say if, like, what you're doing is keeping, like, the deer population in Michigan down because that's, like, what you're, like, well, yeah, and like, remember, thing. we were talking about that grizzly man, too, where it's like, hey, like, the, you know, indigenous people... The were were against Timothy Treadwell, and we're like, hey, like, you do have to kill some of these bears sometimes. They're threatening populations. They're doing X and Y, and like all those those kind of things, and like that. But that, like, what he's doing is not conservation. He is just it's a narcissism. bear fanatic. Yeah, he's a he's a bear fanatic. My take, and again, I I'm not a vegetarian, and I uh, um, I do have all the, the right amount of guilt with that, but. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not uh, – as a few of our guests would say, probably not enough, maybe. But I will say, like, some of my take is just that, like – and again, I know that this is not, – I'm not trying to mince words or make judgment. I do think that idea of, like, I just want to kill another living thing personally. Like, I know that's not what any of my friends would say they were doing. But, like, that that just reeks of, like, a level of, like – this isn't a ranger who's going out like we need to cut the deer population because they're, you know, killing local plant life and that'll make the birds not be able to survive or the wool, you know, whatever else it is. Like, like I get no joy out of this, but the idea of like it's a sport and we get our gear and we go sit in a tree and then we wait and I shot it right. Like the whole thing around it, whether the efforts themselves are important for environmental reasons or not, I just had like – the the concept of like the people that spend their time doing that bothers me and 
you know, I'm not saying they're so they're sociopaths like like the people that go fucking kill a lion or something like that. But you know, Tim, there is a part of me that goes, "That's kind of a red flag that that's how you want to spend a weekend." <laughs> yeah, and, and and so in America, the hunting culture is kind of bound up in different things, though, than what this era is is pointing at because this era, um, this era is pointing to, um, yeah. This colonialist idea of adventurism that, you know, there's still this wildest Africa that you can go and these parts of South America that you can go and find great adventure that the world is not totally conquered yet. And one of the ways you can conquer it, you can make the world a little bit scary, less scary is by hunting, hunting one of these, these, uh, these beasts and engaging in a sort of like, um, an approximation of what it was like to be, you know, an, an early man. And it's all, it's all bullshit, of course, um, because it's, it's done within very often done within. Um, yeah. I, I do think you can make the case that you're going towards, which is at least like, like, again, I'm not, I'm not like they, they still had all the advantages in the world. And like, one of the things this movie actually grapples with is recognizing that in an era that I do think that like hunting, dangerous game was a noble profession um but you know i i i I, I do think that like it it definitely was from an animal's perspective i would say in 1924 when the story was written probably fair like you don't have helicopters you don't have gps you don't have laser powered rifle scope or night vision or all the other things that are like you know people died on hunts all the time like you know, uh, I like Teddy Roosevelt spent a lot of time in the Dakotas, so like there, like that was a lot of like my just growing up history was learning about Teddy Roosevelt. He would constantly bring people who got like trampled by buffalo and like eaten by bears. You know, so I like I'm not saying that the and again they didn't have TV or video games. So what what the fuck do I know? But I will say that like that happens probably much rarer nowadays for all the all the reasons about like it's it wasn't a fair fight in 1924. Um, and maybe golf hadn't taken up, been, been taken up by yeah. the culture as a whole. But yeah, can uh, we save? Can we can we bring back the grizzly bear yeah. to to you know parts of of, of the United States? Uh, if we just have some golf courses, can we can we just pick one? Yeah, sure. Well, I, mean, I would prefer exactly, either. Right. I would prefer that we keep the grizzly bears and we don't have any golf courses. But <laughs> I'm willing to offer up a few golf courses, maybe less than we have currently. Uh, if we can bring back grizzly bears, uh, the Mexican gray wolves, like all these predators that were hunted out of existence purely because some asshole wanted to get a hard on and feel like a big man. Yeah, which which seems it's still worse than like probably like you know a thousand years before that, where it's like oh fuck. These ones are trying to eat me. Yeah. I want to stop them. I'm not saying like they can't. Yeah. They want to eat you because you're invading their territory and stuff like that. But like there is a there's a stepladder that occurs of like how defensible it is. And I would say like I would say 1924 you're mildly indefensible still but not not totally in the fuck you. You have a laser scope. Yeah. Um, he has a friend that he doesn't really talk to much anymore who uh, went on uh, a bear hunt in Idaho and it's like the only I think the only justification was just that like they technically weren't supposed to be in that region of Idaho it wasn't that they were necessarily disruptive or anything it was just that like oh bears are scary and you know they really they're really supposed to be more more west or they're really supposed to be more north like whatever um, 
Yeah, like I, I, I think perspectives have, have shifted on this in a sense. I'm not saying that there's no people out there that still think that like hunting tigers and shit is cool, but I feel like it's shifted more to a uh, rich people uh, thing, a, a millionaire billionaire class kind of deal, and um, that Which is all with this movie, t- right? Yeah, and that's the, so. The, the 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 thing is that this movie, for being 62 minutes, and us joking, there's nothing to talk about. Um, it is like the shortness of it allows for a purity where like the movie explains a bunch of its concepts and what it's talking about. And it get, and it paints the picture of two two characters that are really interesting. The, the Fay Ray character is not that interesting. So I don't include her in that list. Um, I mean, it was her night shift. She has to be way more interesting in her day, day job. <laughs> yeah, she is pretty and doesn't want to be shot. Is mostly her character in this. Um, she gets a couple good screams. She was, I mean, that that's the Fay Ray signature moment. She's one of the signature original scream queens, and she earns it in both this yeah. and, and in King Kong. But probably the other thing I want, I want to talk about is that this is a movie also about how being rich um, makes you insane. And <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, this is the first like. You know, would there be a Dr. No and a James Bond if it wasn't Guy on a private island with a goatee and henchmen and a castle, like, uses Uh, that to, like, impose his will on the rest, on on the good guys, quote unquote? And this is right in the era of the Universal, the Universal, uh, 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 sorry, the um, Universal Monsters and the Universal Horror Movies. And you get movies like The Black Cat, Boris Karloff, like, you're getting all of these, like... Um, the sort of next generation of gothic psychos and it's modernizing the concept a little bit. So they're becoming more yeah. of these like these um, uh, men of wealth and taste, these 20th century men of wealth and taste. They're no longer these uh, sad, probably very skinny men who uh, just sit and in a, in a cobweb swept gothic castle uh, being depressed all the time. Uh, you're getting more of these guys of, of wealth and taste who are like they're they're using their richness to enact villainy, but they have a they have a concept behind it. And I think you're right. Like there's no way to overestimate the influence of this movie. And, and you can see the threads of Count Zaroff in the next era of Universal Horror Movies yep. with Boris Karlov. You can see it directly. 100%. You can see it directly in um, how they depict uh, in World War II movies and they start depicting like these mad Nazi doctors and these mad Nazi generals that you can see it there, like them living in basically Castle Wolfenstein. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, or well, they're, and they're, they're also cra- the crazy submarine bases that, like, they built themselves, yeah. and I conquered this land so that I could take it back for the Reich, like that kind of shit. And then it leads into the James Bond era of international intrigue, set against you know the Cold War. Yeah, this. I mean, this movie is uh, again. This is not hyperbole. One of the most influential movies of all time, like in ways that you probably don't recognize. Like, what was crazy to me watching it this time is that, like. Leslie Banks, who plays the Count, is so familiar. I'm like, God, what else has he been in? Right? Because I'm like, I recognize the voice. I recognize, like, everything he's doing. And he's been in nothing that you or I have seen, Peter. I feel extraordinarily confident. He's one of those people that was, like, only active till the 40s. And the only one that would be potentially on the list would be... um, uh, Hitchcock's original Man Who Knew Too Much, not the remake with Jimmy Stewart that he made. 
Um, he, he has a small part in that from 1934. And that's like, that's the only movie I've ever heard of on, on his IMDb. And the fact that I saw him and I'm like, oh yeah, this guy was in a, was in a few of these movies. What, what did I see him in again? And I couldn't find a thing is because of like how iconic his performance is. Even if you've never seen this movie, you've seen this performance, you've seen the goatee, the voice, the attitude, like everything about what he's doing has been replicated hundreds, if not thousands of times across movies and books and television shows and everything else. And this, this really is the first one of like, you know, not, not, not Moreau-ish, not like, I'm a evil, crazy scientist on an island doing what I want, but like uh, 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 an evil um, capitalist, an evil, uh, you know, industrial leader, an evil person who's like, I have plots and machinations and I'm using my considerable wealth and resources to carry that out. And in, in movie terms, use that to bring uh, bring harm onto the, the, the hero of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and and what's funny is that he's before he makes his his intentions clear, he's sort of making his intentions clear because he's so used to just forcing his his way forward that uh, he he never hears no, um, no. and that he it, when he hears no, it's just the first part of him winning. <laughs> so he describes this sort of escalation uh, of of various hunts. And how, like, oh, they said the South American jaguar was particularly vicious. And then he, like, hand waves it away. And, like, this escalation sounds both like it's a drug, like, and that's how billionaires work, is there's this sort of, like, well, this no longer gives me any endorphins because I'm yeah. so alienated from the concept of of, of uh, resting or the concept of limiting or taking some sort of refractory period in my life that I need to constantly uh, be like, it needs to be orgasms all the time. I need to be go, go, go. And his life has, similar to a drug, his life has become hollowed out. And he says, basically, like, I have no interest in romance or women anymore, really. Uh, it's only the hunt. The only, only the hunt excites me. And even the hunt wasn't exciting me anymore. So what's what's left for me? And it's sort of this, like, yeah, wants a, he wants a partner, right? And it's this woe is me moment. Yeah. And um, it's also a perfect, perfect allegory. Again, this movie is 62 minutes. There's not enough room for it to really get distracted on specifics. Um Absolutely perfect allegory for um, the concept of growth in capitalism and the exploitation of the, the natural world. So in capitalism, uh, the the idea is that if you're not growing, you're dying. And this this is why yeah. so many companies end up at some point being like, yeah, we pay our workers pretty well and they have good health insurance, but we need to cut back on some of that because otherwise our stock price is going to start to to falter because, you know, um, our growth will be stagnant. And the idea of stagnant growth is is a, a hilarious concept. Like, so you made basically the same money you made last year yes but this year it's bad <laughs> like um the, the that that sort of uh that sort of constant needing to get more and more and expand more and more and grow more and more until everything just shatters and falls apart is and that you need to keep exploiting more of the natural world and more of the lesser the lower classes until you you, you get there 
that is a perfect metaphor for that escalation that he describes. Yeah, yeah because, I mean, it's, you know, to put it in our terms, that we don't watch the same movie over and over. We don't watch, play the same video game over and over, usually, um, unless you're playing an MMO. But even then, you know, it's a different experience. It's when, when you're... Um, when your entertainment or even not entertainment, but like your concept of success is tied into exploiting people to some respect, then just like anyone's entertainment where they don't want to do the same thing over and over, um, it's going to change. And, it you know, it needs to uh, it needs to escalate to some capacity. So you have just, you know. It is a great metaphor. I got bored with hunting humans. Like, he's hunting humans. He's killing them. Which, you know, it's like the serial killer thing. I'm sure the first one was easy. It was hard and took a lot. And he's like, I'm going to do this. I got bored with hunting jaguars and all the other things that are around here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt this guy that crash landed on my island. And then, like, you know, ten years later, he's like... Making the waters treacherous so that more ships crash and trying to and, – and like getting excited when more apt people. But again, you know, part of – part of why it's easy for him and why he's not feeling the sense of accomplishment that he wants to is, again, going back to the earlier point, there's actually no risk in it for him. Again, I'll use the struggling actor or struggling musician metaphor again. That idea of like, what would happen if so-and-so didn't make it? Nothing. They are set for life. They can afford what all of us are forced to like contend with on a daily basis. I have a I have a decent job now. There's not uh, you know, the amount of times per year that I have a fuck. Do I need to leave this job? What if the company gets sold? What if a new CEO comes in? What if they decide to do cutbacks? What if my director – like the amount of things that happen on a regular basis, I am constantly having to contend with just the treading water even within a, a modicum of of success from a financial stability uh, perspective. Uh, people who have access to kind of like – you know, wealth, like true wealth, whether they are generating the wealth themselves or just have it in existence, don't have that, like the daily treading water of existence to have to contend with. And so they, they don't, they don't have to spend all their thought process working with that. Instead, they, you know, they, they have no actual risk for themselves. So I think, I think it's a great metaphor because he is trying to get a thrill for the hunt and a thrill of that he could fail and what could happen that he is never going to exist because of how he is um you know not the way that he would put it but as reality would shows rigging the game this is a rigged game i don't know if funny games is a rigged game i don't know if patriot games is a rigged game i don't know if the game's a rigged the game but uh this one's rigged. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. And, and the, the, the fact that he's able to, I, I kind of hope that that hollow sense of that hollow lack of joy he gets um, <laughs> is, is because he realizes that like, 
none of this is real and that he has his uh, engineered scenarios wherein he always wins um and like sure he's a good hunter and all of that but like going into the woods and hunting having uh his dogs and his numerous henchmen and his when he's he when his uh commitment to the to the tartar bow becomes a challenge he switches back to a hunting rifle um, yeah, like he, yeah, he shoots. I mean, you. We didn't get through that part of the plot, but yeah, he's like, I'm gonna use my bow, and he misses a couple times, and he's like, get the dogs and the rifles. One interesting character moment that I would have made different is when he discovers the tree trunk trap. Oh yeah, he doesn't seem excited by that. He just seems scared by it. Yeah, he does. That's the thing. He he doesn't actually want the thrill that he's talking about yeah. because. Like, no no rich people, and they're like, I had to bet on myself and invest all this money in the business and blah, blah, blah. Like, knowing that, like, if Tesla went belly up, you know, tomorrow, Elon Musk would be fine. He has a bunch of money that's unrelated to that. Now, hundreds of thousands of people who work at Tesla might not be. Um, but, like, he's he actually has no – all the risks that they like talking about. He has no skin in the game. Yeah. So yeah, I would leave that exactly. I said I might change it. I would leave it exactly as it is now that I'm thinking about it because like yeah. He's he wanted this extra hunt, but he he really just wanted that trophy he doesn't want to so die. he can talk yeah. about it and think about it. He doesn't like the idea that he the traps are being set for him. The power dynamics are being a little bit reversed whenever a trap is being set for him. And the fact that he spots that trap is pretty amazing because this movie would be pretty yeah. fucking funny if it was over at 47 minutes because he walks into the first trap <laughs> that gets set. It's a good trap. <laughs> It's a great trap, and he's not getting the credit that he deserved. But you're right. Like, at every moment that he's confronted with that my – you know, he his, he pontificates forever about wanting an actual challenge and wanting someone. And that's why, like, when he finally sends uh, Chamberlain to the hunt – right? That's his last name. I'm going to stop closing the Wikipedia. Uh, Rainsford is the guy. Rainsford. Rainsford. Is Cham- is Chamberlain the Robert Armstrong character? Is that what I'm confusing? Maybe. Are you thinking of the guy that gave uh, Hitler the Sudetenland? Oh, yeah. Sorry, that's Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> I constantly get Joel McCrea and Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> Confused. That's on me. Uh, no, I guess even uh, Robert Armstrong's character is Mountain Trowbridge, so. Just, just, uh, anyways, uh, what, what the fuck was I talking about? Um, the traps and. Oh! Oh, yeah, every time that Rains, uh, Rainsford, like, gives him a run for his money, like, wh- whether he is, um, the waterfall set where he ends up, where I was joking, they stabs the dogs, like, he looks fucking terrified when he get he, when he's able to grab the first dog, stab it, throw it off the waterfall, and not for terrified for the reasons that everything I just described is fucking horrific, but just this, oh shit, I only have another dog in close proximity, hopefully I can take him down. When he shows up at the end after, um, uh, it's, he, uh, he ends up, the count ends up shooting the dog. Uh, he thinks he shot Rainsford, and he falls uh, into the waterfall. When he shows back up at the end, he's immediately a sniveling coward. Like, you won. You know, take your stuff. Just go. Like, you know, when he gets it from the piano, it's not a, finally, my challenge met, and I'm, I've met a worthy foe that we now can shake hands as gentlemen. Like, that is the thing. He is always a sniveling coward. 
Like, there's nothing on screen that reflects all of his pontificating or high and mighty speeches about, like, wanting an equal to to go tit for tat for. Nope. Nope. Um, Say what you will about the Joker. (laughs) Well, okay. So, so yeah, he literally – okay, so – Rainsford defeats one of the dogs, throws it off the, stabs the dog, throws it off the waterfall. It's one of the few dog deaths in movies I don't feel bad about because it's literally like going to kill him. Um, oh man, you'd love this movie called Max. <laughs> uh, Two dogs die in a waterfall there too. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm aware that evil dogs hunt down Max as if the concept exists. Um, so uh he kills one and then uh what the henchman just immediately releases the second dog and, yeah. and rainsford just or sorry uh and uh zaroff just kind of sits there and waits for his moment to take his shot and then he has this ecstatic moment of joy the only the only moment he has in the whole movie of that and it's so pathetic like it's yeah. it's it's pitiful it's like it, it and it's not because he's doing something ethically wrong it's that it's like this is the thing that that gets you so high like you needed to launch just keep launching dogs at this yeah <laughs> just keep launching well, they dogs sh- at and this they guy. show the dog pen there's 80 of them yeah he can keep he can chuck dogs all day you're going to lose yeah he's dog rich <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah maybe when he left russia he just meant he took a shit ton of dogs with him i kept most of my wealth i sold the dogs <laughs> um but yeah like it's it's pitiful because it's just like all right dude like it's like being like oh man i won that fight <laughs> six of your friends yeah he has him. three henchmen couple dogs He's got a gun. It's a guy on the edge of a waterfall with a knife and no shirt. Yeah. So the at the so this coming, uh, this comes long after the Bolshevik Revolution, um, but it comes three years after the market crash. Right. Yeah. The idea yeah. of a rich guy being like, uh, oh, I lost, I lost some of my wealth. Feel bad for me, you know. Now, now I just hunt, hunt around the world. I feel, I feel so listless, and then. Uh, this guy is like, oh yeah, it's just it's so hard being rich after I lost some of my fortune. Um, and then this guy's like, mm, but I do still have the fortune to uh, own a castle on a private island, have shipments come in all the time. I do zero work, and I can throw an army of dogs at a guy until he falls off a waterfall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, self awareness. I think I think this movie's theme is that uh, rich people are not self-aware, and uh, we should kill them. <laughs> we should. So Ra- that's what that's what Rainsford they're, does. They're trying to they're trying to kill us. Yeah, literally, they're putting us in the most dangerous game. Are we going to cover yeah. the hunt? Also, did we just crack? Yeah, did we just crack this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I both kind of want to cover the hunt, but it's such a politically mud- muddled movie that like I. I wouldn't have like a central thesis at the end of the episode. Yeah, the, the my central, central thesis, thesis was that, being like, that everybody was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like it is. It is South Park logic, and it's like I don't know how many like good YouTube essays I need to see about it, but sometimes it is just like, hey, again, someone saying that they don't like black people is not an opposite extreme to I think global warming's bad and we should put the effort to stop it like those are not opposites yes 
like I, it, there's this great uh great i mean a lot of good writing that's been done about the way that like our entire country and news media has taken um reality and framed it as the perspective of like two political parties when like that is functionally meaningless um and so like everything has to be opposite by way of just reality is that like some people think you know gay people should be allowed to get married <laughs> Some people think that if you have if you use birth control, you should be sentenced to death. Those are opposite things. Um, just because the you know uh, one one is predominantly in one political party and one is in predominantly the other political party. Yeah, and I and and, and I yeah I uh, we I pro- this is probably something we'll cut out, but yeah, I would kind of be interested to cover the hunt because it is it is kind of calling out both sides, but one of its primary problems is that <clears throat> it doesn't know how to do that in an excise in in a way that actually like lands deep blows. Yeah. Well, and one one of the sides is like a, a moderately center center left, and one is like right wing fascists. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I uh, was going to say is uh, where were we? Oh, so but uh, Ransford does get his vengeance, but when he comes back to the castle, and it's pretty rad how he like comes in, and he's just like, oh, I'm gonna beat yeah. the fuck out of you, dude. Like he he's walking in slowly, but in a way that like. Well, you think he has actual in, but he's not until he slams the lockdown right when he's like, hold on, I got to take this. You're like, oh, he's slowly opening the door. Okay, he's done all this stuff. And then, like, he slams the lockdown like, okay, I'm ready for you now. I did all my entry stuff I needed to get done. He wants to look him in, in his scared eyes before he, yeah. he kills him. And that's the kind of, like, fun thing about this movie is that since it is so direct and so violent and so fast, you're, you're kind of like, well, yeah, Rainsford's going to tear this guy's fucking head off. And they have this kind of fun, like, uh, 1930s uh, punch-out fist fight where they're, like, throwing each other over the couch and shit. And uh, Rainsford gets attacked by one of the henchmen because, again, Zaroff is a, is a coward. And Rainsford fucking banes him he throws him over his he throws him over his back and puts his he locks headlocks him in so he's choking him and then he just keeps pulling until there's an audible snap and that's something that like i have never seen that kind of violence in a 1930s movie that's yeah i'm taking back some of my not so extreme as like we went over these moments like yeah this this one did shock me quite a bit the first time and yeah there's the snap and then even then like he pulls up his gun as they escape and and you know rainsford rainsford's leaving him for dead and he um like fucking tries to shoot him again then just collapses from all the violence that's been done to him yeah uh yeah it's pretty good he stabs pretty, pretty good. He stabs Zaroff in the back with an arrow, and like he's, it's like an intimate exchange. Like he's looking him right in the eye. He's like, "I've got you, motherfucker." And it, yeah. it needs to be close and intimate. It can't be Rainsford. It can't be Rainsford shooting him from a distance or whatever. Uh, you know, nice and clean. You know, the cowboy shoots the <clears throat> the cowboy shoots the awful rustler, um, and you know he falls down bloodlessly. Um, you, uh, the only thing I really can't have I that. You have to have this intimate exchange where he's literally like sinking a blade into him because like it's the it's the claws versus weapons thing yeah. that like 
it's that is the that is the theme that was set up and though it's not his original knife because he lost that in the waterfall the fact that he's taking his his own arrows and jamming them into his back is like so it's 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 such a perfect encapsulation oh and then he shoots a guy with one of the henchmen with a luger (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's good the only thing i wish like if they had made this movie in the 80s i do think like schwarzenegger was starring i think after he like punched out the the count threw him back on the table. He'd been like, game, set, match. I'm sorry, that was Herzog? You went Herzog, and I was just waiting to see if I went Herzog. It. God damn it. All right, hold on. This is we got all of here. All right. Game, set. I can't do it. I'm going I'm going Herzog. Game, set, match. Here we go. Ah, game, set. You got to do more. Game, clown. set. No, I'm going Russian. Game. Most- <laughs> You do it. I can't. <laughs> Why can't I do I Schwarzenegger? I keep doing this, it Russian. This is, we gotta get out of here, hurry. Okay. This game, isn't the game. Match. This game, isn't the game. Sit. Match. This isn't the match. Most dangerous game. There you go. You have I to, win. You have to do the, 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 um, the it's wiggle in the back of the throat. Get out of here. It's not a tumor. Yeah, you have to, you have to insist it's not a tumor. And he's like, yeah, I know. You're putting an arrow up my back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it has been a while since I've watched a Schwarzenegger movie, so I'm just I'm out of practice. The, I, Running, Running Man month was five years ago. Jesus. I, I think in this very month, Peter, five, it's our five-year anniversary of the Running Man. We got to do another Schwarzenegger movie at some time. But instead of that, Peter, next week, I, I didn't have anything else. Read yeah, now. let's keep going. Okay. Uh, next week. We don't have Schwarzenegger, but we have one of the other biggest and grumpiest action stars of the 90s. We're doing a little movie that I've never seen, Patriot Games. Yeah. Don't uh, patriotize me, bro. Um, so I mean, you're a big, you're a big don't tread on me person. So, I'm a big like, don't tread on me person, but that's just because I'm, I'm, you know, from New England. Um, no, I. Uh, this is a movie that we were talking about, uh, uh, games. I was excited to do it just because I... I, I have it's been on my list to see forever because I like initially didn't get to it when it came out um, like in 1990 like it just it, nothing I ever circled back around to and then it was like oh it's in that era of big budget action movies that no one talks about and then you and a few other people I know are very fond of this movie and I like, like it a lot you don't have to convince me too hard to see a 90s era Harrison Ford giving an what I assume is a semblance of effort action movie. Yeah, he's really good in it. Uh, he's a little bit more he's a little bit more chilled out and clear in present danger, which I'm not a big a huge fan of. Um, it has some good sequences. Willem Dafoe is in it, but this one has uh, this fun plot about the IRA. Uh, Sean Bean does this like <laughs> really wild Irish accent. Um, is he a good guy? He's bad. He's one of those bad boys. Surprisingly. Does- I'm excited to find out if he makes it through it. <laughs> and then Harrison Ford, we get to do Harrison Ford impressions. So really, if we get to do a bunch oh. of, um, oh, laddie, oh, laddie. <laughs> Have you Speaking met me? Who played, a, who played a Cossack <laughs> a couple years after Patriot <laughs> Games. <laughs> Sean Bean. Oh, I'm Ryan O'Ryan. <laughs> oh, Michael Collins was a friend of mine. Uh, should we invite Ryan Boland on because he's 100% Irish? Uh, he's 100% Irish? Yeah. You don't hear about yeah, those we... people very much. 
I mean, he seems very into joining our show, so I'm I'm more than happy to invite him. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk. But yeah, so Patriot Games is one of my my favorite sort of action thrillers, and it sort of surprises me because I generally am a, a, a kind of a poor a lot of Tom Clancy stuff. Yeah, um, but that and that and Hunt for Red October, I think, are the two good Tom Clancy movies. Yeah. Yeah, we were almost going to do Super Mario's this this month again. We've already done Super Mario Brothers once, but then Peter rightfully reminded me, like, "Hey, we can't do it on the big game month because this ain't no- it's it's specifically not a game." I know. They, I was they're very clear. That'd be a first repeat. Yeah. Also, if the movie Peter- was called anything, it would be Super Mario Brothers the movie. <laughs> It wouldn't be Super Mario Brothers, the movie based on the game, in which case we could maybe... Well, maybe that's how they'll make the Chris Pratt one, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> whatever the fuck's going on! <laughs> whatever the fuck's gonna... I saw a news article, what's that they're gonna explain? Why well, he does have an Italian accent. I'm like, finally, we're getting the Mario movie everyone wanted. Uh, all right, well, with that, uh, I don't know what got cut out to this point, uh, but uh, we'll see you... At the games. At the games. Thank you so much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> If you can't, (laughs) uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs)